This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I was actually uh, going to go in a different direction today and start a new series, but I'm actually going to hold off on that till after Mother's Day. And I, I'm going to share a word this morning that... Um, I feel is appropriate for our church today, um, for right now. I, I want to, if, if we can this morning, just a show of hands, um, how many in this room right now have ever made a mistake in your life? Uh, put, put up your hands. Okay, all right, so Lord, just keep your eyes on the liars. There's three people that haven't put up their hand. I'm kidding. Okay, all right. So I, it's just so encouraging to me because now I know that I'm actually speaking to everyone. So what I'm going to share this morning will apply to your life. You may say, well, you know, this isn't specifically for me. I go, trust me, this is specifically for you. So, get ready, get your seatbelt on, and get ready, because we're going to go, and we're going to talk about something that I believe is so simple, yet so profound for our Christian walk. Do you believe that this morning? All right, let's just pray to start with. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray this morning, Lord God, that you would just speak through me this morning. Lord God, that every word that is said would be from your throne room, not from mine. I pray this morning, Lord God, for hearts to receive, uh, minds that are open to receive. Lord God, a simple truth, but a profound truth this morning. I thank you, Lord God, for fruit that would come, evidence of a changed life that would come, Lord God, as a result of your word this morning in their life, in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Many, many years ago, I don't know if you guys know Joyce Meyer, but Joyce Meyer is a pretty famous uh, Christian speaker, author, conference speaker, you name it, she does pretty much everything. Um, And she wrote a book a number of years ago called The Battlefield of the Mind, which in my humble opinion has got to be on every Christian's bookshelf. And it's something in some ways you should almost read every year. It is a phenomenal book, but what it talks about is an internal struggle or an internal battle that we as believers face. And in most situations, it's always the battle that goes on between our ears. You know what I'm saying? How many have ever struggled with thinking God loves them? How many have ever struggled um, with the thought of, I want to live for God, but I just want to do my own thing? All right, that's good. All right, that's good. That's good. Just so you know, this is on video today, so we're all going to see it. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. No, I wouldn't do that. Too. Well, maybe I would. But I'm not going to. I would pre-warn you, right? And then we'd have a very small crowd that day. Um, it's awesome. But there's a challenge and a tension that we often create in our minds between peace and worry. Can I get an amen? Between kindness and jealousy. Between forgiveness and accusation, this is exactly what goes on in our heads all the time. How do I know? Been there. Trust me. It is a struggle. And then sometimes, if if I can be honest for even today's culture, sometimes we look at the news, we see what's trending, and then we still wonder, you know, God, are you still even there? Like, what's going on? And sometimes we can get caught in this battle, or what I'm going to call this morning uh, the internal battle or the battle within. The book of Galatians speaks perfectly to this entire scenario. And I'm going to just read a verse in Gen- or, sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 
It's going to be on the screen behind me so you can follow along. And it says this. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Never seen that before. All right? Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants to do. So you have to understand that there's a polar opposite effect in our lives Every given situation of every given day, every moment of every day, every choice and every decision that we have to make. Years ago, they, they decided to put an illustration of it with a little devil on the one shoulder and a little angel on the other shoulder, right? And so we get that picture that in every choice or in every decision, we've got this one influence over here, and we've got a separate influence over here. And I think we all would understand that. It goes on and it says, and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How many have ever experienced that battle? It's huge. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. There's a, I love how this ends. It actually speaks about a people that are good-willed. How many have ever been in a relational conflict and the only thing that you think of at that particular moment is that they're evil-willed? And then you're thinking to yourself, how can I hire the Christian mafia without anyone else knowing? How can we, you know, because we do believe that they're going to go to heaven, hopefully, if, you know, even if we kill them. So that's going to be okay. And you're looking at me like, I would never think that. You lie like a dog. We all think these crazy thoughts like, Lord, I'm just going to turn the other way and you just bring judgment on their house. And you're thinking to yourself, no, I would never think something as ungodly as that. And I go, yeah, right. Yeah, right. We've all had that moment, right? We've all had that moment. But you have to understand, at the heart of all of this, somebody who's come to Christ, there's good intentions within their heart. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in residence. So there's something, the good intentions in the Spirit of God that are inside of you actually prove why the battle's there. It's proof. Because the flesh wants to take over. Somebody other than the Spirit of God wants to take the throne of your life. And that's why we have the battle. It goes on in verse 19 and it says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. In other words, you can't miss it. It's unmistakable. And I'm going to list them. And I want you to think through them. Some of these may affect you. Some of these may not affect you. Sexual immorality. Well, of course, Pastor, we'd never do that. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. Oh, this is a great message today. Aren't you guys excited? <laughs> you know, sexual immorality. I remember when I was in a youth camp talking about camp experiences. I remember going to youth camp once, and this guy got up on, on the front, and he was trying to get the kids engaged with the message. And he literally says, guys, on the count of three, all 957 little snot-nosed little brat kids out in the, in the, you know, in the congregation are literally going to yell at the same time, sexual immorality. And I was like, is this a cult? <laughs> um, where did I find myself this week? This is crazy. And it was so funny. It was meant to be a joke, just so you know. But I want you to understand that just because you read that, and some people think, well, I'm married. That's not a problem for me. Ha! I laugh at that. Why? Because it's everywhere. It's a click of a button. It's a click of a button. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, 
Idolatry, wanting something else more than God. Of course, that never happens in our culture. Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I want to make one differentiation here so that people don't lose their marbles. The moment they say, well, I've, I struggle with one of those. It says when they live a life of. Okay? doesn't mean you make a mistake of. Sin is an event. It's not your life. Okay? So we're talking about repeatable, sustainable choices creating a lifestyle that is anti-God. Okay? We good? All right. But it goes on and it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. And I love this whole concept because it's talking about the picture, the perfect picture of a life in surrender to the will of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the life that God wants us to live. But this is a perfect illustration in these verses of this battle within, this internal battle between the desires of ourselves versus the fruit of God's Spirit. And there's a tug, there's a, there's a war that's going on in the inside of us all the time. But can I say this morning, your weakness does not define you. Because if that was the case, none of us would be here right now. That's the incredible story of the cross. It's redemption. It's love. It's justice, yeah, because he paid the price in order for us to be free. But ultimately, it's a story of redemption. That's the heart of God for you this morning. Your weakness does not have to define you from this moment on. Amen? Your weakness is not your identity because you're a child of God. Oh, that's a good point. Thanks, Cameron. All right, good. So, I think this morning we have to be real with ourselves and come to the realization very quickly of two very specific pains that we can have in our life. I have lived these two pains out, and I want to tell you this morning, they're both painful. But one produces good fruit, one doesn't. We can either live out the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Regret destroys. Regret is a pain that never ends. Discipline ends quickly the moment we surrender. And now it empowers us to that new place in God. For my life, I've come to the realization that for the first 22 years of my life, the pain of regret didn't feel very good. It didn't help me. It didn't get me where I wanted to go. As a matter of fact, it got me to the very opposite of where I wanted to go. And then the moment I said, yes, Lord, and I came under some loving discipline, my life was transformed. I know as a father, discipline's hard. I'm telling you right now, there's some moments where it's just like, ah. you know, you know what you have to do, but you don't want to do it. But it's the thing that you don't want to do that you know you have to do in order to produce the fruit that God wants to see in, in your kids' lives. It's the same thing spiritually. 
the exact same thing spiritually. God puts people in your life, and it doesn't have to necessarily even be leaders or pastors or anything like that. God will put people in your life, and sometimes he'll use your children to be the pain of discipline for you because they reveal to you what you are. Like, that couldn't be me. That's got to be Sandra. That's got to be. There's just no way that I would ever even imagine even doing that ever in my life. That's got to be her. It must be a Scandinavian thing. But you have to understand, when we give in to temptation, when we give in to those desires of the flesh, consequences follow. You know, I was actually talking with someone before the service. We were talking about the, the desires of consequences and choices and then what happens as a result of those specific choices. And at the end of the day, one of the things that was always so hard for me being in social work was this idea of people keep coming back and they tell you, well, you know, this is happening again, this is happening again. I'm like, well, if you don't change the choices, then you're going to keep getting those consequences. And they're like, well, I know, but I can't do it. I'm like, well, until the pain of discipline far outweighs the pain of regret. Changes won't happen. And the one thing that I keep coming back to is, Lord, I, life is tough all by itself. I don't want to make it any harder. Can I get a witness? Come on. Life is stressful all by itself. Why? Because of the external struggles and the external battle that comes from outside of us. I don't know about you. We've often said there's no issues within our home, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of things knocking on our door. We just don't let it in. We usually answer and go, oh, sorry, that's the next house, over. <laughs> you know, it's not for us. Sorry, you must have met them next door. Okay, and then I pray for my next door neighbor. Um, <laughs> but Jesus, you have to understand this morning, Jesus has provided a way to overcome the inward battle. He's provided a way. He has provided a way to break the chains and to break all of those things off your life so that you can live not just victoriously, but at peace. How many want that? Come on, I don't know about you, but that's the one thing I keep defaulting to. Lord, I just want peace in my life. Lord, I just want peace in my life. You talk to any believer or non-believer out there, and it's the same story. I just want peace in my life. I just want joy. I just want to feel some sort of satisfaction in life. I just never seem to find it. We have the answer. Don't put it under a, a bush. You know, don't put it under a basket like Matthew 5 says. Let it out. Let people see that there's an answer. Amen? And can I say this morning, it's not about being a better person in self-help books. All right, lost three people right there. All right, that's good. Now, is there anything wrong with them inherently? Well, some of their theology is a little off. But is it, if it's encouraging you to be a better person, is that a bad thing? Of course not. But the ultimate answer is the cross. Okay? John chapter 16. I love how Jesus makes a plan for your freedom and for your help. Are you ready for this? John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You have to understand that in the midst of your battle, in the midst of that internal battle, Jesus has provided the ultimate answer to you in your life called the helper, the Holy Spirit. Okay? And I'm setting this up for a reason because I'm going to go somewhere with this, okay? Okay. Um, the Apostle Paul, interestingly enough, in so many of his writings, talked at length about this internal battle. But there's one passage in the Bible in particular that I think just knocks it out of the park. And it's Romans chapter 6. It's one of those chapters that not enough of us read. Usually we read the Roman road early on in our spiritual lives, Romans 1 through 8. 
and we get all excited about that, and then we, we usually forget about it. Um, but Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 12, I'm going to just read this, and I'm going to just flesh out this battle, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you to see how we can respond to this in a very simple way. It says in verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to the sinful desires. Paul is not warning the church just about sin itself, but he's warning the church about the power of sin. Right? The power of sin. In other words, that which naturally propels something forward. So that it's never in neutral, it's never lacking motion, it's always propelling. So the moment you take the lid off of your own natural desires to do something wrong, have you ever felt like you just almost lose all sensitivity to God's voice and you just do whatever you want to do? And what started in your mind is, I'm just going to do this one thing, turns into this five thing? Right? Okay, maybe just me, it happens to me. It's because there's power to sin, it's not just sin. There's power to it, there's horsepower to it. There's torque to it. It propels it forward, okay? It goes on in verse 13, it says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely, one version says wholeheartedly to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life, Zoe life, the Greek word Zoe, which means abundant life, life to the full. That's what it's talking about. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Not for your glory, but for God's glory. The moment we make decisions to surrender and to honor God's word and honor God's will, we are actually shining forth the very goodness and glory of God to people. Right? That's what's awesome about this whole thing. I love this word completely. It literally means it's an entirety, undivided, uncompromised. That's what he wants us to do. That's the heart of God. Amen? Verse 14, it says, Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. The inward battle ultimately is really who your master is. Who's the master of your life? Who's the captain of your ship? Who's in the driver's row? Who have you given the keys to? One of the things that I had to come to realization with about 20 years ago was that as long as I was in the driver's seat, my life's not going to go too well. And so I had to make a choice who I was going to put in the driver's seat. That was number one. Number two, I had to make up a choice to make sure I wasn't a backseat driver. Number three, I had to make a choice not to grab the keys from the guy who was driving and kick him out of the door. Can I be honest? That's what happens with our lives. We enjoy what the driver's doing until we don't agree with which direction he just took us in. And now we've become the backseat driver. Well, I don't know about this, God. I don't know, about I don't know if this is the way you want us to go. Lord, I don't know. No, Lord, that is not my gift in life. Lord, I, you know, get behind me, Satan. And except we think of it as Jesus, you know, in that sense. But it's like, and then the moment we really don't like where he's going, now we literally try to jump over, grab the emergency brake pedal, pull it up, and kick the, uh, kick the guy out of the side door. You say, well, we would never do that. And <laughs> trust me, we do. We do it more than you think we do. And so there's confidence and courage in us to understand that whatever we um, literally give into becomes our master, and we become slave to that thing. Let's keep reading verse 15, and it says, Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Well, of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. 
This is huge. So whatever you choose to obey, you become a slave of. Not only is that thing your master, but now you become a slave of that thing that you choose to obey. So the question this morning is, what do you choose to obey? Who do you choose to listen to? Who's in the driver's seat of your life? Are you a backseat driver? You know what the answer is usually for most Christians? 80% of what we put Jesus in the driver's seat for, we're really comfortable with. It's the 20% that we still want to have control over that is actually the very thing that will ultimately set us free. But we can't let go of it. Lord, you know, I just love to drive on Sundays. You can have the other six days of the week, and you can drive wherever you want me, me to go. But Sundays are my day, Lord. I just want to drive. And so we do the same thing with him um, naturally. And I tell you right now, I do the same thing too. And it's something that God's been dealing with me personally on, which is good. Um, goes on in, in um, verse 17. It says, Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. That's my heart this morning. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves of impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things that you used to do. I mean, I can give that a big amen. Things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. What you choose to do is what you'll become a slave to obey. And I think it's something that's so key. I want to come back to Galatians chapter 5 and God shows us, Paul shows us what God wants us to walk in. And again, it's verse 22, 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against their, those things, there is no law. And I want you to understand here that that just sounds awesome. And we'll hear a message on that, and we get so excited, and we're like, yeah, Lord, I want to live for you, and I want to make better choices, and God, that's my heart's cry. But then you go home, and something happens at work, or something happens at home, and you realize you just defaulted to the thing that you always do, and you're like, I don't understand why I'm doing this. This is so frustrating. God, why am I doing this? Can I get a witness? All right, all right. And then the only natural perspective that we have in that moment is, number one, we beat ourselves up and we draw away from God. Number two, we become proud because of all the things that we have done right. Or number three, we compare ourselves to somebody else in order to make ourselves feel better. At least that's my top three list. That's what I do. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I've done historically. Pride never leads anywhere but a fall, the Bible says. That's not good. Beating ourselves up means that we're no longer a child of God, at least not acting like one, because he loves us with an everlasting love. Redemption, heart of God. And comparing ourselves with one another is measuring with the wrong tools, and we're always going to get the wrong answer because we're measuring with the wrong device. 
They talk about this in Proverbs chapter 11 when they said that these business people and these merchants in the olden days used to uh, scale their, or like change their scales and weight it one way so that they would actually make more money off of less product. And the Bible actually addresses that. And it's the same thing today. If we compare it to the person sitting next to us, then one day we're going to feel great about ourselves and the next day not so much. So God says, don't do that. It's not going to help. So I want to share with you, I shared all this to share one thought, one idea. And I hope this is simple, but I hope you get it. Because this has revolutionized my life in the last five or six years, okay? Um, I'm going to share one simple thought that has two parts that will absolutely give away this entire concept of the battlefield of the mind or that inward battle. Galatians 5.16. It says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. So the only way we can overcome it was, is with the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's, we, we won't have an issue with that. We go, yeah, okay, that's good, that's great. Now, how do we do that? Okay, here we go. So whenever you are tempted, whenever the battle comes to you and you are struggling, don't say don't, say help. How many have ever told your children don't? And how many have ever seen that they do the very opposite of what you've just said? Why? Because Romans chapter 6 says the moment you say don't do something, that the actual sinful nature in a person rises up and they do the very thing they don't want to do. So don't say don't. Say help. All right. Can I illustrate this morning with a little illustration? Is that okay? Are we good? No one's throwing stuff at me yet? Hey, man, that's awesome. All right. All right. So just picture if you uh, maybe parked your car um, and had to walk, say, I don't know, four blocks to work. So you have a little parking area. How many love downtown Kingston where you can never find parking? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And you go park somewhere in your spot until someone takes it, of course. Then you get really angry, and then all the ungodly thoughts come up. But anyhow, that's a topic for another day. So you park in your spot, and you walk three blocks, the same three blocks, to get to work every single morning. And one morning that you realized when you were walking by this place, you always see this big, giant wooden fence behind this one property. And you literally are walking along the sidewalk beside this wooden fence for like two of those blocks because there's this huge property on the other side, and no one really knows what's over there, but it's about a 12-foot high wall, so even if you wanted to see on the other side, you couldn't even if you tried. Even if you want to get a ladder and scale it, you're not going to do it. And it's one of those wooden fences that are actually a privacy fence. You know how some of them have the slats that are off-centered, and you can actually kind of look in between? This is a privacy fence, so you cannot look through anything. And literally, this goes on for days and days and days. And then one day, you walk by this fence, and in the fence is a little hole with a circle around the outside. Just a little hole, just enough for you to peek through. And the little hole is there, and it's got a little circle that's painted on the outside, so it makes the hole, you can notice the hole, do you know what I'm saying? And on the outside of the hole, there's a, a little note that says, under no circumstances, look through this hole. So, 
that person the first day had enough in them to kind of just stop, read the sign, look at it again, look at his watch. Okay, I'm going to be late to work. Okay, so I'm going to be late for work, so I've got to keep going. And the next day, he walks by. He's thinking everything's fine. He's walking by the fence. He sees the same sign. He sees the same hole. He sees the same paint around the hole, so it's jumping out, except this is different today. Because he hears a voice on the other side going, 12, 12, 12. He's like, what in the world? So what he does, because the curiosity gets us all, come on. He looks down, looks in the hole, gets poked in the eye. And all he hears is, 13, 13, 13. It's, I tell you, this is what happens. And I can honestly say, this is what Satan does to you. Just look through there so that I can poke your eyes so that you no longer see who you are in Christ. So that you no longer see who you are in Him. Let me poke your eye. That's what Satan's saying today. Don't give in to the pretty paint around the hole. Don't say don't, because the moment we say don't, we want to look. Don't say don't. Say help. I look around. Who's walking this walk with me? And I was a brother and sister in Christ. Brian! Oh, Brian! Brian, come up here. And Brian will come up and say, man, I know, you're, I know what you're thinking. I've been here before. I have looked through that hole before. I have lost vision in one eye because of that hole before. And Brian comes up to me and says, Cameron, I love you, brother but there's nothing good on the other side of that fence. Can I help you? And I have a choice to say, don't tell me what to do. Or I can say, help. Many of us look at those holes in life and the first thing we're thinking of is, well, who put the hole in the fence? Why did they write that message? Who wrote that message? Did they write it for me? Or is that for somebody else? Why did someone yell the number 12? Well, they found out later on why. The moment we say don't, we actually create the power to do what's wrong. Now, I want to give context to this because I'm sure you've heard some teaching out there in the last 10 years that focuses so much on what they call the hyper-grace teaching. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. It doesn't matter what you do. And I go, that's just pathetic. Because that's not true at all. But here's what I want to do. I want to give some, <clears throat> some context to this. The other, and just before I do this, the other thing that often happens is not just an increase within your own self to desire to do wrong, but you also create the, the other thing that is not good, is which is striving to do what's right. Striving doesn't produce good results either. Trying to work yourself up to produce good results doesn't do it either. But what do we do then? Romans 7, 7 says this. What shall we do then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I have not known what sin is except through the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. The law is good. The don't list, if I can say it like that this morning, is good because it tells us what's wrong. But it doesn't have the power innate within it to help us overcome it. 
Because if that were true, our children would be perfect. And they're not. Right? It goes on, it says in verse 8 and 9, it says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin, sin sprang to life and I died. Why don't you say don't? Because we don't want the sin part of our life to spring to life. We don't say don't. We say help. And you know what's awesome? is when Jesus introduced to the disciples for the very first time the concept of the Holy Spirit. He didn't introduce him as an empowering force, even though we know that that's what he is. He introduced him as helper. Because he knew that every one of us would have that fence moment. Some of us have it every day. Multiple times a day. The fence comes. The hole's put in the fence. The paint's painted around the hole. The sign's put up. We read the sign. We look away. We look back. We struggle with what we know we should not do. And we do it anyway. Because we didn't take the time to say help. That's all I want you to do today. When you're struggling with whatever it is that that you're trying to, to live for God with and anything that the enemy is bringing against you, say help. And you know what's awesome? Help comes in two forms. Yes, it comes in the form of the Holy Spirit. But it also comes in the form of the church family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Brian coming up to me and saying, I know you want to, but don't look through that hole, Cameron. He says, but yeah, but I just want to. They called me Curious George when I was a kid for a reason. You know what I'm saying? So... This, does, this is a hard thing for me personally. Now, I haven't had this struggle in a long time, but my first 25 years of my life, I was defined by the hole in the fence, if I can be honest. Okay? Remember, the Holy Spirit was sent to be the helper. Just simply cry out to Him and say, help me. Some people say, well, what about boundaries? What about wisdom? What about listening to the God's top ten list in the Old Testament? I say, absolutely. 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 But a list is essential for the definition of truth. But definition only appeals to one's mind. It cannot change a heart. Help is essential for revealing someone's heart. The moment we say help, we're literally defining to everyone else where our focus is and where our hearts are. We've learned this as parents, and I'm not saying that this is like brilliant information, but this is the one thing that we've learned as parents that we would love to pass on to all of you. We don't think we've arrived, but there's one thought we keep landing on. Train your kids to love what is right, not fear what is wrong. Train them to love what is right and why they love what is right instead of being afraid or fearful or worried or anxious about what's wrong. Don't say don't. Say help. When we say help, three things happen. And I'm going to end with this. Number one, we acknowledge our dependence on God. The moment you say help, you've just taken your hands off the steering wheel. And you're no longer in the driver's seat because you're automatically saying, I need someone else to drive for me right now because I cannot make the right decision. I don't know what direction to go in. I don't know what to do. 
So we automatically acknowledge our dependence on God. Number two, we disarm the power of pride. Right away. Because we've humbled ourselves. And number three, as a result, we've developed a teachable spirit. Holy Spirit, teach me what to do here. Holy Spirit, help me. Bring people into my life that are going to help me. The enemy loves to bring people into your life that are going to harm you. The Holy Spirit, bring people into my life that are going to help me not just say don't, but to say help. That's our heart's cry this morning. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 